chapter 6 and chapter 7. Let's do the smart thing and let's pray before we go ahead and get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just come to you just excited to see what you have to say tonight uh, just as your word comes alive and active. And Lord, thanks for just the time of fellowship. Thanks for that time of worship. And just pray now you would teach and we would listen through spirit in your name. Amen. All right, last week we did the first five uh, seal judgments there in Revelation chapter 6. Now, if you're coming in kind of cold here a little bit, just a really quick, quick review of what we're kind of hitting and going through. Revelation chapter 6 starts the actual judgments, if you will, in the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 is in kind of an introduction of what's going on. Revelation 2 and 3 are the different churches that they're writing letters to. Revelation 4 is the heavenly scene that reveals what heaven is going to be like to an extent. Revelation 5 introduces us to Jesus, who is the only one worthy to take this scroll. This scroll is a key piece here. This scroll, the way we're kind of looking at it is our opinion as the scroll kind of represents, if you will, the title deed to the earth. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he purchased us, the Bible said. Well, the second coming of Christ is Christ's return to reclaim what is his. The Bible makes it clear that Satan is the god of this age, the ruler of this world. And I want to stress this point, and I know you've heard it before. This does not mean that Satan overpowered God to take over the world. What it means is when sin entered the world... The Lord stepped back and said, fine world, you want to let sin rule and guide you? Let sin rule and guide you. And for 6,000 years, we've been letting sin rule and guide us and look where it's got us. So at the second coming of Christ, Christ is returning to reclaim what is his, the world. And so he has this title deed to the earth. He's got the piece of paper that says, this is mine. And so when he's reclaiming this, he's the only one worthy to reclaim it. That's what Revelation 5 was about. Well, before he reclaims it, he decides to clean house. And so as he's cleaning house, this is the judgment that's coming upon the earth here in the book of Revelation. We went through the first five seals last week, and we'll just hit them real quick. And actually, Dustin, if you want to go ahead and put that first slide up, you, may, you probably have a, a printout of this, but we'll just put it up here and we'll kind of leave it up here. The first uh, seals that we're talking about deal with the first three and a half years of the tribulation. You can see that that is a seven-year period, that horizontal line, the first three and a half and the second three and a half. We're in this first part over here, the rise of the Antichrist, the temple being rebuilt, which we'll get to that later, peace treaty, which we'll get to that later, two witnesses at 144,000. We'll get to the 144,000 tonight. And then you can see this is the first three and a half years, uh, 1,260 days, 42 months. In biblical prophecy, a year is 360 days. That's why the numbers don't match up exactly to our 365-day calendar. So we'll leave this up. We're in this first three-and-a-half-year part here. Well, the first few, first few seal judgments, real quick review. First seal was the rise of the Antichrist. Second seal is conflict on the earth. The third seal is uh, famine. And the fourth seal is death. The fifth seal were the martyrs. And those are all things that we kind of hit on last week a little bit there. So I encourage you, if you weren't with us, to grab the CD or get online and listen to the podcast to that. So it leaves us now at the sixth seal, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island moved out of its place. Keep your hand here and turn to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. Great chapter that goes right in line with this. Isaiah 42. Literally, the earth is going to be rocked. There's no way around that. And, and what happens here as you go through this is just this world is just going to be actually just shaken, if you will, as you go through this. And literally, all these things are going to be happening. Excuse me, Isaiah uh, chapter 24. Oh, come on. Moaning? You have to go 18 chapters to your left? Fine, Habakkuk 2. I'm just kidding. 
Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24. I believe when I look at here at the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6, I, I, I take this literal. I think the earth's going to be rocked, literally. This is, this is part of the judgment here, this idea of earthquake. Because Isaiah 24 actually goes right along with this too. Look here, this is a tough chapter. Isaiah 24 is a tough chapter. Look at the first verse. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surfaces, scatters abroad its inhabitants. That's a pretty tough thing. Jump ahead, if you will, to verse 4. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. Jump ahead to verse 5. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants. Sin, because they have transgressed their laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore the curse has devoured the earth. Aren't we living that? And those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. We talked about that last week when we talked about the fourth seal. Where it says a fourth of the world's population will be killed. And we did the simple math of five billion, even though I just read an article now where they said the world's population is almost seven billion. I'm not smart enough to do a fourth of seven billion. So if we do 5 billion, and we said, let's be optimistic and say 1 billion people are raptured, which leaves 4 billion people left on the earth, we're talking 4, excuse me, 1 billion people dead. So when you see these things here, like few men are left on it, this is just the seal judgments. We haven't gotten to the bold judgments and the trumpet judgments yet. And I'm telling you right now, the bold judgments and the trumpet judgments make the seal judgments look like a walk in the park. It gets really rough. It is going to be that horrible. It's going to be destruction. Look at verse 12. In the city, desolation is left, and the gate is stricken with destruction. When it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. Verse 19, if you will, the earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and it shall totter like a hut. The transgression shall be heavy upon it, and it will fall and not rise again. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones and on the earth, the kings of the earth. Now, God is not punishing the earth because he's ticked. It comes back to this whole thing we've been talking about on Sundays, the sin has to be dealt with. And so this, this account of sin has raised up so high, God finally says it's time to pay up for this sin. And for him to reclaim the earth in the second coming, he's going to clean house first. And this is what's happening here in the book of Revelation. Too often the book of Revelation is, is presented almost as God is just finally ticked. And so for seven years he's just going to be really mad at us. That's not what it is. God's cleaning house to reclaim the earth so that way he can do the millennial reign of a thousand years. And also sin, he's just. Sin has to be dealt with. It has to be. God just can't sweep sin under the rug. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. That's why the earth is being punished. Is because the sin has to be dealt with. So, when I look here in Revelation 6, I, I believe verse 12, I look at this very literally. I believe there will be a great earthquake like the world has never seen before. It's going to be unbelievable. Now, I've never experienced an earthquake. The closest I've come to experience an earthquake is, uh, let me get my math here, right about 14 years ago, Dawn and I went out to California. And we were thinking about and praying about going to a Bible college out there in California. And so we went out there to California, and we were touring the campus. And as we were touring the campus, the, the tour guide made a comment about that the campus was right on a fault line. And we actually saw signs that said, Earthquake Damage Repair. And Dawn said, I don't care if the Lord's leading. I am not going to California. So that's why you have us here in Northwest Ohio. She didn't want to be anywhere near that. So 
this great earthquake, I think this is a great earthquake. And I believe the great earthquake also explains the rest of verse 12. The sun becomes black as sackcloth of hair and the moon becomes like blood. If there's a great earthquake, and it's not like an earthquake we've experienced. This, I believe, is an earthquake like the world has never experienced in any way whatsoever. If it's going to be that rocking and that rough, etc., you can imagine the amount of debris going up into the air. And if that debris is going up to the air, what happens to the sun? It gets blackened out. And what happens to the moon? Well, the moon reflects the light of the sun, so therefore it, the moon will look different too. Some people try to look at this in a different way. I think this is just actually all combined together. This earthquake is so vast, so massive, it throws so much debris up in the air that it literally blacks out the sun. Verse 13, stars of heaven falling to the earth. Well, two ways to look at that. If this earthquake is that severe, you could see debris falling down on the earth like stars of heaven falling. It could also literally be stars of heaven falling. We do know later in the book of Revelation that there seems to be some type of asteroid, if you will, by the name of Wormwood that comes down and actually strikes the earth. See, God has nature in his hand. And so therefore, he's using nature as a judgment tool upon us. So when I see verse 14, the sky receded as a scroll and every mountain and island moved out of its place, that's a big earthquake. That's a huge earthquake. That's something that we can't even fathom. I, I got online and I looked. Do you realize in the world today there's already been nine earthquakes? Now, most of them are out in the middle of the ocean or someplace far from us that we don't even realize. But they happen, we know that. Just a few years ago in 04, there was that huge earthquake that with the tsunami that over 200,000 people were killed. Supposedly the biggest earthquake that we can understand happened back in the um, 16th century when they figured over 800,000 people were killed. Now that's big, that's huge. I don't think that even compares to what's going to happen here in the sixth seal. This is God's judgment on the earth. And as we've been talking about here, as you could look at Revelation 6, also look at Matthew 24. And that's what your second column there is on the right-hand side. You can see in Matthew 24, verse 29 there, that idea of the same type of thing happening here. You can see how all the prophecies line up with this. So I look at uh, Revelation 6, verse 12, and I think it's going to be literal like that. I think the earth will be shaken. That will get our attention. But here's the sad part of this passage Keep reading. Verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who is able to stand. That's sad. That's sad because you would think with all these things happening that people would stop and say, Okay, God, I'm listening. In fact, we know in Revelation 9, it gets even worse in Revelation 9, because in Revelation 9, you're not of the trumpet judgments. And it says in Revelation 9, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. How bad does it have to get for some people to repent? Truth of the matter is some people have such a hard heart they don't want to do it. They try to out-stubborn God. Part of Revelation, when you look in the midst of these judgments, you're also seeing God's grace. Because he's allowing these things happen to get their attention. This is not him just being mad. This is him also doing this to get their attention. We'll get to that in a little bit, but I want to talk about this idea of hiding for a second. Flip, if you will, to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Let's talk about the first time that we played hide-and-go-seek with God. Genesis 3. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about the first part there, of the actual earthquake and the physicalness of the earth that's going to be happening there in that seal judgment before we get to the spiritual side of this? Okay, Ron. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear the last part. Some of them are other religions at what? It's quite possible, quite possible that what are happened is if, if the Christians are raptured out, that there's a lot of other religions that are left, and yeah, they're crying out to their God or they're thinking their God's going to save them. It's quite possible. But it seems to me, too, 
as you study Revelation, by the time you get to the end of the book of Revelation, there's not a single atheist in the world. Now, that doesn't mean that they're accepting Jesus as their Savior, but by the time you get to the end of the book of Revelation, everybody will know that there is a God, and they ought to choose to accept or reject that. So I agree with what you're saying there, Ron. They may be calling out on their other idea of God, but God is also allowing these things to happen to let them know that I'm really out there. Look here in Genesis 3 for a second. Let's talk about this hiding part. Because what you find out here in Genesis 3 is you have the fall of man, you have the apple there, or the fruit, I should say, with Eve, Eve eats, Adam eats, they sin, they realize they're wrong. Background, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife, what did they do? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now why do they hide? they know they were wrong. They know they were wrong. It goes back to what we talked about Sunday. When my kids hide from me, they know that they're wrong. Same thing happens spiritually. When we're not right with God, we hide. Well, how do we hide from God? We quit going to church because we feel convicted. We don't want to hear what he has to say. They hide actually in the store. I've shared many stories with you before where I'll turn down one aisle at Walmart, see somebody I haven't seen in a while. Hey, good to see you. And they're running. They're running through Walmart. And I'll chase them down through the bananas. I don't care. Because <laughs> we're hiding from those things we know that will help us. We hide from prayer, we hide from word, we hide from worship, we hide from service, we hide from church, we hide from God. I have been in that position. I have been in that position where spiritually I'm not right. I see my Bible. I should read my Bible. I know I should. I don't want to. It's easier to watch what's on television. I should really pray about this. I don't want to. It's hard for me to hide from church, but I have to be here. But the truth of the matter is when we're not where we're supposed to be spiritually, we try to hide from God. This is exactly what happened in Genesis 3. This is exactly what's happened in Revelation 6. They don't want to deal with God, so they're trying to hide. And God will keep shaking the earth to get their attention. Why? Not because he's angry, but because he loves them. I firmly believe that. It's because he loved them. If he was angry to the point of, I just want to see everybody be destroyed, we would not have Revelation chapter 7. The purpose of Revelation 7 is to say that in the midst of this judgment, God is still seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ be spread. Now let's go into Revelation 7 here. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. That word sealed means marked or stamped. Verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. And we'll go through the tribes here. We have Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Ishakar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. The famous 144,000 in the book of Revelation. Now, this has been twisted by many cults and many religions, many, many times. And I don't understand how it can be twisted. I, I almost feel like when John was writing this 2,000 years ago through the Spirit, I almost think, okay, John's writing, okay, God, you really want me to write every tribe and repeat 12,000 were sealed. Yeah, why? Because 2,000 years later, when false cults and false religions try to say they're part of the 144,000, we can simply go back and say, okay, what, what tribe are you part of? I firmly believe that this is 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. I think that's what it is. Now, and I say this in utter respect, without picking, I refer to these people as the super Jews. Because these people are going to be amazing. These are going to be like major evangelists here in the book of Revelation. 
major evangelists. And God is raising up 144,000 super Jews to go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ during this time. So once again, when you see the book of Revelation, the only thing we think of is destruction and judgment. We're ignoring these type of chapters. Because in a couple chapters here, we're also going to be introduced to the two witnesses that do a great job of evangelizing the world. So these 144,000 super Jews get out there. Now stop and think about it. If God had 144,000 on-fire believers for Jesus Christ, wow, couldn't they accomplish a lot? And that's what these people are going to go out and do, and they're going to spread the gospel. Now, real quick background here. We're not going to turn there, but in chapter 14, we're given to a little bit more detail. We know that these people are virgins, and we also know that they're spiritually pure. Now, it doesn't mean that they're sinless, but it means these people, their lives are solely focused on seeing the gospel being spread. And is there fruit that comes out of this? Major fruit comes out of this in verses 9 through 17, which we'll get to here in just a little bit. But little thing to chew on. Note as you go through these 12 tribes in verses 5 through 8, Two tribes are, meant, are not in there. The tribe of Dan, he's out. The tribe of Dan's out because what did Dan do wrong? Dan's the one that brought idolatry into Israel. Actually, it was prophesied back in the book of Genesis that Dan would bite the heel of Israel. So God knew 6,000, I shouldn't say 6,000 years ago, God knew thousands of years ago that Dan would cause problems. And so Dan brought idolatry into Israel, so Dan is not mentioned. He doesn't get the blessing of being a part of this. The other tribe not mentioned is Ephraim. If you study out your Old Testament... Ephraim was one of the bad kids too. Ephraim didn't do a real good job. Ephraim was known to bring idolatry into the northern tribe. So Dan and Ephraim are out. They don't get to be mentioned. So they don't have the blessing of serving the Lord here in this capacity. Now, that should hopefully be a little bit of a wake-up call to us because there is a blessing in serving and getting a chance to spread the gospel. I think sometimes as Christians we don't understand the blessing of that. I, I think we almost overlook that. that. God said, I trust you with the most precious news that has ever been in this world. That Jesus loves you and died on the cross for your sins. It would have been so much easier if God would just use the angels to spread the gospel. Or use some other being to spread the gospel. He gave us the responsibility of doing it. And to be quite honest, I think us as Christians for the most part... Take that for granted. That we know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know that. Well, then why am I not telling people? I don't know, I guess. I just know it. Well, what happened is Dan and Ephraim lost the blessing of being a part of that. And we don't want to lose that blessing. I tell you right now, don't ever lose any opportunity. Every day when you get up, Lord, this is your day. How can I serve you? How can I love you? Who can I tell about you? Tell, tell you about you. I mean, that's what it comes down to, that excitement of that. That's what these guys get to do. Now, real neat... Even though Dan and Ephraim are out, when it comes to the millennial reign of Christ in Ezekiel chapter 48, when God allots the land to Israel the way it was really supposed to be, guess who's the first tribe to get their land back? Dan. I like that. Because even though Dan may be in the doghouse here in Revelation 7, even though Ephraim may be in the doghouse in Revelation 7, in Ezekiel 48, when Christ comes to rule and reign on this earth, they're back. They get the land back. That shows what? A whole lot of grace and mercy. You may be in the doghouse right now, but isn't it nice you can be right back in the good grace of God? It's that simple. I mean... We got four boys at home. There are certain times where we're doing something with them, and the one does something wrong. They lose the blessing of being part of the group. You, know what? you need to go to your room for a little bit. You miss out. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean I don't want you to be a part of the family because you can come back in a little bit. But you miss out on what we're doing now because of your bad attitude and behavior. Same thing happened to Dan and Ephraim. They got put in timeout for a few thousand years, but they get to come back in Ezekiel 48. Don't ever miss those little teaching points of grace and mercy. Don't ever miss that. They screwed up. They brought idolatry in. They were judged for that. They were disciplined for that. They lose the blessing of Revelation 7. But in Ezekiel 48, Dan is the first tribe to get the land in the millennial reign. I don't think that's a coincidence. That's my personal opinion. Take it or leave it. For God to specifically mention Dan first. Hey, who was the first person that Jesus wanted to talk to when he came back from the grave? 
Tell Peter. Tell Peter. Why Peter? Because Peter was the one that screwed up the most. That's what the Lord does. When we're in the spiritual doghouse, he wants us more than ever. And, I, and I've shared this point with you before, and I've never seen this point disproven, but I haven't been able to study it out through every book of the Bible to see it proven. I heard a pastor say one time, the only time you see God in a, in a hurry in the Bible is in the story of the prodigal son, where God is a picture of the father running back to his lost son to have a relationship with him again. only time you ever see God in a hurry, that he runs to the prodigal son. To me, Dan is that. God says, I'm putting Dan first to get the land first because it shows everything is okay now. Oh, boy, that's grace and mercy. Like I said, you may be in the spiritual doghouse now, but the Lord says we can make this right. We can definitely make this right. Now, before we get to verses 9 through 17, which we'll finish with here, does anybody have any quick questions, comments over any of that stuff? Yeah, John. Well, I think the veil is lifted off the Jewish people at the abomination of desolation. And the reason I say that is because if you look here in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 12, I think with that you see the woman that's a picture of Israel fleeing into the wilderness. That's my personal opinion. I think when you put Matthew 24 together with this, I believe when the abomination of desolation happens, which we'll get to here in a few weeks, is when the Antichrist goes into the temple, sets himself up as God, I believe that's when the veil is lifted for the Jews. Anybody else got anything they want to ask here before we move on? Yeah, Marcus. Ephraim and Dan. Mm -hmm. The other one would have been Joseph, because Manasseh and Ephraim are Joseph's sons. And back in Genesis, Joseph got a double blessing. That's why Manasseh and Ephraim are mentioned there. So Joseph is actually quote-unquote mentioned twice through his son Manasseh and also through himself, Joseph. Well, because what happened was when Joseph was the favorite of the son, he got the double blessing. And so when it comes to lineage, God actually started looking at Manasseh and Ephraim as two separate things to show the double blessing for Joseph. If that makes sense to you. So Manasseh is mentioned on his own as a separate entity, and Joseph is also mentioned on his own, which also shows the double blessing that God gave him. Because a lot of times when you look in the Old Testament, Joseph's really not even mentioned. It's just Manasseh and Ephraim. And here, Dan's out, which is replaced by Manasseh, and Ephraim's not mentioned, which is kind of, if you will, replaced by Joseph. Anybody else have anything before we go on? Yeah, Kathy. That's a good question. I, I would assume, and be careful with assumptions, I would assume they'd be spread out all over the world. That's my personal opinion. Um, we do know for a fact that the two witnesses have a pretty good um, ministry going on. We do know in a few chapters here that there's angels circling the world proclaiming the gospel. So I don't think it's going to be too far-fetched to think that this is going to be all over the world. And I remember hearing a teaching one time thinking, you've got to remember now, especially with the two witnesses, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, when the two witnesses come into play, they're, they're going to be martyred, killed. And it says the whole world sees it. And in fact, the world's going to be so happy that these two witnesses are killed that they give out gifts to everybody. They have a Christmas with these two witnesses being killed. Then the Bible says that the world sees them resurrected. Well, how can that happen? Well, you've got to think in our 24-7 news cycle, you can flip on CNN and probably see these dead bodies just laying right there. I mean, that's the way the world's going to be. So to answer your question, the world's going to see all this. My personal opinion is the 144,000, I think they'll probably be spread all over the world. I think that's God's love. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, there's going to be other people, too, that the Lord is using. It's just that these 144,000 have to be have a special ministry that the Lord uses. And like I said, the fruit that comes out of this is, is pretty amazing here in a few verses, too. Anybody else have anything before we move on? So let's see what the fruit of this is. Verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches, branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Real quick reminder, that's from chapter 4, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to them, Sir, you know. So he said to them, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. 
and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. See, I, that's what I love about the book of Revelation, is, is yes, in the first six seal judgments there of chapter 6, it's pretty dark. I mean, we're talking possibly a billion people dying, but yet in chapter 7, there's a great multitude that gets saved too. You've got to remember, and we always say this out here, any time you see in the Bible judgment, keep looking because you'll always see grace. God, when he judges, also always has grace and salvation in there too. And you see that in Revelation. Yes, there's judgment, but there's also a whole lot of grace here. God specifically uses the 144,000. He specifically uses the two witnesses. He specifically uses angels proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because he has no joy in the death of the wicked, the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel. He wants to see this world get saved, but also sin has to be punished. So therefore, as he punishes the sin, he also gives opportunity for those to come to Christ. That's the beauty of grace in the book of Revelation. So great chapters here, some neat stuff. And next week... We'll finish up the seal judgments and then get into the trumpet judgments too as we continue our study here at the book of Revelation. So anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? Yes? Yeah, 144,000 are raised up after the rapture. After the rapture. This all happens after the rapture there. So, so they are obviously, I think they're Jews that were not Christians and once the rapture happens, they become what we call messianic Jews. Jews then, then understand who Jesus is and that there is their salvation. So they're Jews that have gotten saved then after the rapture. So anybody else have anything? John? If I remember correctly, because I was reading that, because I thought, you know what, there's going to be some person that's going to ask me that. And so I went, it's in Ezekiel 48, and I read that today just to make sure. And if I remember correctly, um, let me check here real quick. I'll just go through the tribes real quick. Dan, Asher, Naphtalia, Manasseh, Ephraim, Reuben, Judah. And then we go to Benjamin, Simeon, Ishakar, Zebulon, Gad. So what would you would have is Joseph is not mentioned because he's covered by Manasseh and Ephraim. And then Levi's not mentioned because Levi's job is to serve the Lord. If you remember from the Old Testament, they don't get land. So Manasseh and Ephraim are, I don't want to say replaced, but Joseph's not there and Levi's not there. So anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray. We'll let you go. Heavenly Father, just thankful to be here and... Uh, Lord, help us to remember that, the blessing we have in getting to tell other people about you. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, you, uh, you have entrusted us with the most precious jewel and treasure that you could ever imagine is salvation, and we get the blessing of sharing that with other people. Lord, give us that heart, give us that attitude, give us that passion to see the lost saved. And Lord, we know that judgment is coming. We know what that happens. So Lord, stir us on more than ever to truly go out there and be lights and witnesses in all that we do. And Lord, help us to have that eternal perspective, to let these things go that don't matter, and to focus on what does. We love you and we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your patience with us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.